in most of India is they do not butcher cows. Now, does do any of y'all know why that, that is true, why they don't butcher cows? Anybody know? Do you know? Yeah, because they believe, they actually believe in reincarnation. Most, a lot of the country is Hindu, and so they believe that when people die, that they, are, that they are reincarnated many times into animals. It could be cows, and so they, the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to kill a cow because you might actually be killing somebody. Now, a missionary talked about that uh, he had a group, a church come over back in 1999, and when they went over there to India to serve, said the people were really surprised at how many people were struggling with the issue of hunger. And he said what, what really baffled the people is that whenever they looked around, they saw, they saw all these cows that were wandering around the country. Uh, it has been estimated that there are over 200 million sacred cows in India. And so the missionary said, we really don't have a, a food problem in our country. He said, what we have is a sacred cow problem. And if we're going to solve that problem, he said, those sacred cows need to be tipped over. And the fact of the matter is, there are sacred cows in every area of life. I mean, I'm sure that you have some sacred cows that are that are in your, in your jobs. I mean, there, there are sacred cows that we have in sports. But there are also sacred cows that are in the church. And whenever it comes to sacred cows, I would say that most of the sacred cows that, that I can think of, and typically in the church, those are cows that need to be tipped over. And that's why we're looking in Matthew chapter 7 today, because in these three verses we're going to be reading, we're going to see that Jesus addresses the issue of a sacred cow that is still admired and adhered to by many people who are in the church. Now, now what is that sacred cow? And I think in a sense we can, we can sort of sum it up like this. If I go to church, then I'm good with God. Now, I'm a pastor, and so I, I love the church. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you're a believer, you should love the church. The, the church is just something, the name church means an assembly of believers. We come together in order to worship. So I love the church, but to think that the church is something, that if I just simply go there, that that is something that makes me good with God. Guys, let me tell you something. That is a sacred cow. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. And it is a cow that needs to be tipped over. And so what we're going to look at today is, well then, what exactly is it that makes us good with God? And that's why we're looking in Matthew 7, uh, uh, chapter 7, verse number 21 today. And this is a section of scripture that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he preached it up in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And so when he would have preached this message, there would have been hundreds and hundreds of people gathered around the sea. Todd, do you remember that? Todd and I, we went to Israel together. And so we, we've been up there by the Sea of Galilee where, they, where, they, uh, where Jesus preached this sermon. Now when people came to hear Jesus preach, my guess is some of the people came there for a show. Remember some of the things that Jesus did? He, he performed miracles. My guess is a lot of people would come and say they didn't have cable back then. So they're like, hey man, this, Jesus is going to be up here. Maybe he's going to heal some people. Uh, they could have been thinking, we're going to get a free meal out of this deal. If we go there, maybe Jesus will find some more bread and fish, and he's going to multiply it, and then we're all going to be able to get something to eat. And so I believe there's a lot of people that came to hear Jesus 
for various reasons, but what we see in these three verses here is that Jesus lays out some rather blunt words. And I'm going to be honest with you, every time I read Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, it always gets my attention. I was telling our V Group's pastor, Jonathan, I said, when I read this scripture, I, always, I get a little bit weak in the knees and nervous. Because what Jesus does in these three verses is he takes an axe to some of our preconceived notions, and he absolutely obliterates it. And whenever we talk about what is it that makes me good with God, there's some things I think or that we naturally think makes us good with God, and Jesus says that's not it, and he chops it down. So here's the question. What is it that makes us good with God? Well, it's the very first thing that I want you to see. What makes us good with God, we're going to start off with the negative, it is not what we say. What makes us good with God is not what we say. Verse 21, and here's the verse that always gets my attention. Jesus said... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, we've all heard the phrase before, actions speak louder than words. And we like it when people's actions back up their words. Right now, I think the the latest poll I saw by Gallup said that Congress's approval rating is right around 16%. Now, I would open it up to you all to say, well, why do you think it is? But I don't think we would ever leave here. And so I will sum it up. I think it basically doesn't matter what party you support. We have congressmen and people in in politics who will say one thing, and then they get elected, and they get into power, and they do something different. And that drives us crazy. We're learning the hard way. We're saying, you know what, you might say something, but I am no longer going to take you at your word. I want to see what you do. Now, would would you agree with that sort of generally? You like it when people's actions back up their words? Okay, so we all like that, but it would be really good for us also to apply that same kind of thinking and logic to ourselves concerning Jesus. So so what does Jesus have to say? Well, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, saying that Jesus is Lord, that is a very big deal. The word Lord, it means master. The Bible lets us know throughout Scripture that before you come into the family of God, you must confess, say, that Jesus is Lord. Paul wrote about this in Romans 10, 9. He said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then the Bible says you shall be saved. So a person has to confess Jesus is Lord before they come, in, before they come into a relationship with God. It's something that you say. So then I look at verse 21 and I feel a little bit confused here. Because Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what's up with that? Seem to contradict each other. Well, well, here's, here's the idea and the thought behind this. You can say the right things. You can believe the right things. But if you don't do them, then it really doesn't matter. You know, talk, you know, the saying, talk is 
cheap. Did you know that even, the Bible says, even the demons, even the devil believes the right things? Listen to what James 2.19 says. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. And then it says, the demons also believe and they shudder. So what does that mean? Well, we can just cut to the chase here. Tell you, talk is cheap. The demons believe in Jesus. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I think all of us are going to agree that when, when people go to heaven, we're not going to look around and we're not going to see a bunch of demons there. They, they are not going to be there. They're not going to spend an eternity with God. And I, again, I think most of us would agree with that. We're not going to have any problem with that. But we can be a little bit nervous, or it kind of catches me a little bit off guard whenever I apply that same logic to myself. Guys, we can believe in God. You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But just because you might think that, you might believe it, that is not what makes you good with God. Just because you come into the church... That does not make you good with God. Now, I love the church. The Bible speaks of the church as being the bride of Christ. That Christ laid down his life for the church. We are told in Scripture that we are to, that we are to come together as believers, as the church, to worship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works not staying away from our worship meetings, every preacher's favorite verse, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Y'all, I need the church. I need y'all. I, I need every week to come together with you, to fellowship with you, to worship God. And honestly, when I leave here, I feel, I feel like I am ready to take God's word, apply it to my life, and live differently. And yet I'm afraid there are too many people who come into the church and they see it as I'm punching the clock, therefore I can do whatever I want to do. I punch the clock, therefore that means that I'm good with God. And they can leave without their heart and their living ever being changed. There's a young couple that moved into a neighborhood and, and as they were sitting at their kitchen table, the wife looked out the window and saw her neighbor hanging up her wash on a clothesline, and as she looked out at it, she said, look at that, she said, she doesn't know how to clean her clothes very well. You know, they're kind of dirty still. And she, she said, it's every Saturday. And the husband's looking at her, kind of roll his eyes, he didn't say anything. And so every week she'd talk about it, and one week she happened to look out the window, and she noticed that their, their clothes were spotless, they were white. She was, well, obviously she changed her detergent. And her husband looked at her and said, no, I just washed the windows. Now, I think sometimes... What happens to us is we think that if my soul is going to be right with God, then there I just I just simply have to I just simply have to go to the church and I'll be good. And that's all I gotta do, punch the clock. Guys, before we can ever be right with God, the window of our soul has to be cleaned, and that does not happen by us simply saying the right things. Even believing the right things. So what is it that makes us good with God? It was, it's not what we say that makes us good. And this is an interesting one. So what is it that makes us good with God? Well, it's not what we do. Not what we do that makes us good with God either. Look with me in verse 22. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? There's a lot of doing here. They said, on that day, that, that phrase, on that day, that is referring to a day of judgment. To the day when we die and people will stand before God and there will be some people that are going to be judged according to their works, according to what they've done. The Bible refers to this in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. It says, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And John said, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Fire. Now, when we stand before God, we are all going to stand before him, but there will be some people who will stand before him, and they will be judged according to their works. And so that's why verse 22 is interesting to me. You look at the works of the guys that we're being talked to here. Jesus said, there's going to be some of you, you're going to stand before me, and you're going to say, didn't we prophesy in your name? That's a good word, speaking the words of Jesus. So didn't we drive out demons? in your name. Didn't we perform miracles in your name? Now I look at that and I think these guys, if they're doing that, they have a one-way ticket to the pearly gates. That is impressive stuff. Think about, if I did those things, I would be feeling good. I'd be like, this is happening because God is with me. God's hand is on me. That means that I'm going to be okay with God. And, and I still hear people say very similar things to me like this today. How do you know you're good with God? And they'll say, because I've done more good things than bad things. They'll say, well, I've, I volunteer at the homeless shelter. I serve people food whenever they need it. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Therefore, because of those things, I am good with God. Now, let me tell you something. All those things, all those things are good things. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things. But being good with God does not happen because of what we do. It's not what makes us Christians. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, and here's the key, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, I've always wondered about that. Why aren't my works... The good things that I do, why aren't they good enough to make me good with God? If you ever wondered that, I think, that's, that's a, I think that's a normal question. Why doesn't that make me good with God? Well, here's the deal. It's because my standard of good is not God's standard of good. You know, with a group, y'all, I am tremendously fast and agile when I'm competing against four-year-olds. Okay, I look pretty good against them. But that is not my standard. My standard in my spiritual walk, in what is good, it is God. You know what God's standard is? 
God's standard is perfection. You know, Bridgestone has a, a, a new commercial. It's been out for a while, but this commercial about their tires. And you might have seen it. You know, they have the archer that, you know, that shoots the arrow into the tire, and it, it, the tire doesn't puncture. You can still drive on, and even after you know, somebody happens to shoot your tire with an arrow. I don't think the odds are great, but that might happen. Uh, but on the commercial, here's how they, they explain it. They say, drive guard tires are specifically engineered to be able to take a puncture and keep you moving. They're supportive and tough. Reinforced sidewalls help you ensure, help ensure your mobility for up to 50 miles at speeds up to 50 miles per hour. Now, that's good. I mean, I get the whole, I get the whole thing. You know, puncture your tire, gives you time to be able to, you know, if it's raining, you know, it would be terrible to have to pull over and you know, change your tire right there in the rain because your tire's flat. So you got 50 miles. But I think I see a problem with this technology as well. And here's what I see. That you can get a flat and not even know it. It's because it stays inflated. And you're not going to know it. And if you're not paying attention, if many of you are, uh, my dad calls them idiot lights. If any of the lights on your dash come on, that's an idiot light. So don't wait for that light to come on. So, you know, whenever the tire pressure light comes on, I don't know how y'all are, but I can, you know, we even had a car one time where we put black tape over it, so we just didn't see that stuff. You know, just, I'm going to live in ignorance because that's wonderful. Okay, so, so we just continue to drive along. Have a, have a puncture tire, but we continue to drive along. And I'm, I'm afraid that's what many people are doing in life. We are driving along in life not realizing that our very soul has been punctured by sin and yet we are still functioning and we're not going to find out that we've been driving on a flat our entire lives until we stand before God. You know, Jesus said in John 3, 3, I assure you unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus lets us know what happens. If you depend upon your goodness to make you right with God, Jesus said this in the verses we just read. He said, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what is it that makes me good with God? And I hope that you start to see why. When, every time I read this, it always it gets my attention. So what is it that makes me good with God? It's not what we say. It's not what we do. So then what is it? Well, guys, we are good with God when we have faith in Jesus. That is the key. Faith in Jesus. Verse, verse 23, it's a little depressing here. It says, Jesus said, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So Jesus said here, he said, those people who depend upon what they say, you know, what they believe, what they do to make them right with God, Jesus said that that's not going to help you out. He said, I never knew you. That word knew, it's, it's speaking of relationship. It doesn't mean when we stand before God, God's going to look at us and say, I don't recognize you. It's not what it's talking about. Jesus created everybody here. He knows. He knows you. He knows every hair that is on your head. He knows you. But it's talking about relationship here. It's like, I don't have a relationship with you. You know, there, there are some people, you can look around, there's probably some people that you recognize that you've seen here before, but you don't know them. You recognize them, but you don't have a relationship with them. Now, if you aren't known by God like this, what happens? Jesus said in the last verse, depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now, when I see that, my first question is this, how do I get to know Jesus? Because I don't want to stand before Jesus and him say, depart from me. 
My first thought is, well, then how do I have a relationship with him? Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. Faith. So, but what, is, what exactly is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. What are we hoping for? You know what we're hoping for? We are hoping for eternal life. Now that sounds good, but how can we hope for something that we have not seen? How do we have confidence that what we are hoping for is actually going to be something that happens? Well, again, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the answer. It says, God has given us proofs. That word proofs, it means evidence. God has laid out evidence for us to show us that he is real. Now, I think most of us, or most people, when they say, I'm not going to believe in God until, until it is proven to me. And what I'm learning is basically what that means is they will not believe in God until God is standing right next to them and says, hello, I am God. And he is with them face to face. Say, otherwise, I'm not going to believe. Y'all, we, we believe and we trust in things that we've not seen before. You know, there are times whenever you will see a case that will come on TV and a person will not have seen the crime, but there have been proofs or evidences that have been left behind that enable them to know how the crime was committed. I look in our, in our text and I see the same thing's true with Jesus. He's left behind evidence to us that he's real. It's all over the place. You know, I, I, I look in creation... And I look out there and I think, golly, you see a sunrise? You, okay, tell me this, the eclipse, did that blow your mind? And I looked at that and I tell you, the, one of the first things I thought of was only God could do that. The precision of creation is mind-boggling. Y'all, there are so many things that have to be so precise for life even to exist on this earth. When you saw your child for the very first time, did you look at the child and say, that is amazing how he came out of the primordial ooze? No, you look at your kid and thought, that is a miracle. That is something that happened because there is a God. So here's the deal. Now, it still comes down to, I can't prove. I, can't, I don't have a picture of me and Jesus. I don't have that. So it's still, it comes down to faith, where I trust that there is a God or I don't. I have to make a decision. Will I have faith or not? Jesus says what makes you good with God is when you have that kind of faith. That, that, that trust, when the Bible is speaking of trust, the word trust is, means this. It means to lean your full weight upon someone believing they will hold you up. Do you have that kind of faith in Jesus where you lean your full weight upon him, trusting him? I, I read a story about a guy named Ken Davis, and he talked about when he was in college, he had to write a paper on the law of the pendulum, and he said, I had to also do a demonstration. So he said, I made a little pendulum out of a toy, put it up on the chalkboard, and was addressing the class. And he said, the law of the pendulum is when you take the pendulum back and you let it go, when it returns, it will return each time a little bit shorter than when you first started it. He said, so he'd just mark it off with chalk until it got to that state of equilibrium and it quit moving. 
And so when he did that, he, he turned to the class and to his professor. He said, now I have a question for you. Do you believe in the law of the pendulum? Do you believe that's true? Everybody in the class, including the professor, said, we believe. Said, absolutely, it's true. So then he brought them to the science, one of the classes in the science department next door, where they had a pendulum in there. That pendulum, the, the, the ball was hanging from parachute cords, weighed 200 pounds. And so he had the professor get up against the wall, and he had a couple of students, and they pushed that 200-pound ball all the way to his chin. He said, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? I said, I do. So they let go of that ball. It swung out, and then it began to swing back towards his face. And as soon as it got close, he stepped out of the way. Now the kid said, Ken Davis said, okay, class, I have a question for you. Does he believe in the law of the pendulum? And they all said, no, absolutely not. Now he believed it in his head, but whenever it came time for action, believing in his heart, he didn't believe. Now like the law of the pendulum, life is going to test us. Life is going to bring trials to us that are going to demonstrate whether or not we truly have faith in Jesus. And so here's my question for you and me as we close out. Do you really believe in God's love? Do you really believe that our God, the God of Scripture, is faithful to his word. Do you believe that when he says you confess your sins to him and you repent, that he will take your sin and he will cast it as far away as the east is from the west? Do you believe it? Do you have faith in that? Do you have faith that whenever Jesus says that you place your trust in me, you will be born again and you will have life eternal in heaven? Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Do you have faith that Romans 8, 38, and 39 is true? It says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, to me, it's, it's like the trust game when you're a kid. You know, whenever you're a kid, you'll somebody stand behind you and you'll stand away from them and you're trusting, you'll do the trust fall, you know, you'll fall back. That, that is what it means to trust. Where you can't see the person, but you are trusting that they're not going to allow you to slam your head on the ground. That they are going to catch you. Having faith in Jesus, that, that, that's a picture of it. That's what it means. It means, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't see you, but I believe you've given us evidences and proofs in your word and in creation and all around that you are real. And so, Jesus, I'm going to fall back in you, and I'm going to trust that you are true to your word. You trust Jesus like that. Have you done that? Or have you been banking all of your life that you were good with God? You say the right things because you've been doing the right things. Because if that's what you're counting on, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. 
And when I read that, it always gets my attention. Because Jesus says, it requires you trusting me. It's not what you do that makes you good with God. It's you trusting that what God says is true and that he'll take care of you. Now here's how I'd like to close the service. I'd just like, I'd like for all of us just simply to bow our heads, to close our eyes, and, just, and this between you and God and nobody else. And I want to encourage you just simply to take time to think, to contemplate, what is it in my life that I am hanging on that's going to make me good with God? Is it what I'm saying? Is it what I'm doing that I'm trusting in? Because Jesus says those are not the things that will make you good with him. So what is it? It's faith. It's trusting in him. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never leaned your full weight upon Jesus. Today, you can do that. And so I just encourage you, if you're ready to take that step, where you're seated, why don't you pray and talk to Jesus? You simply tell him, say, Jesus, today, I am coming to you, recognizing, Jesus, that I am sinful. So today, I am trusting as I confess that to you, Lord, that that you will forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, Jesus. I turn away from my sin. Jesus, I am believing that you lived, that you died, and that you rose from the grave conquering death and the penalty of sin. Jesus, I am placing my faith and my hope in you to rescue me. I will follow you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, my encouragement for you is you can take your bulletin, you can open it up, and there's a contact form in there. Fill that out. Just check that line. It says, today I'm committing my life to Christ. And as you're walking out the door, we'll have ushers standing at the back who'll be holding baskets. You can drop that slip of paper in there, and that will enable us to get you some information in the mail about how you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. But I just want you to leave here today knowing this. You're good with God when you place your hope, your trust, and your faith in Jesus. It's not who you are, it's not what you do that makes you right with God. It is who Jesus is and the trust that you have in Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all throughout Scripture, Lord. You just take so many sacred cows and God, you tip them over because you want us to see the truth. Jesus, I pray there'll be people who will leave here today changed by who you are. And I pray this in Christ's name.